0: The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today, we're so lucky to have with us returning Dr. Mark Gulston, all the way out there from UCLA, doing very exciting stuff. Great to see you again, my old classmate from Boston University. Mark, welcome to Different Brains.
1: It's great to see you, Hacky. And I got a question, and I often ask this question out of the gate. What made you smile today, Hackey?
0: Knowing that I was going to be interviewing Mark Goulston made me smile because that brings back memories of our favorite mentor, Dean William F. McNary from Boston University, who fought for both of us and for so many other students.
1: And And as you said that and recall that we were going to meet again and we would both recall Dean William McNary, could you feel that just a little smile has a way of just cutting through some of the OCD, ADD, the stuff in our head? Can you feel how it just cuts through? Just as you even said it, a hundred percent so in fact, uh, what we're going to be talking about is uh, my team and I have launched a global initiative, and it and we have one product called hashtag wmyST, which stands for what made You Smile today. And we have at Instagram. Uh, an Instagram uh, tag called at WMYST Global. It's a nonprofit. And our mission is to combat the disconnect, the unhappiness and loneliness in the world using the power of tactical kindness. And WMYST is one of the tactics we talked in a previous show about something called Eight Words, which is another tactic to get through to people who are depressed and even feeling suicidal. And so I'm so pleased to be on and share this with you and your listeners. And they can, and they can check out where we launched this at a TEDx talk. And the TEDx talk is called What Made You Smile Today. And can I give a little background about why I'm doing this and why I'm doing this now? Please. So as you've known from my background, I was a suicide specialist for 25 years. I was a boots-on-the-ground suicide specialist. One of my other mentors after Dean William McNary was a fellow named Dr. Edwin Schneidman. And if you look up Edwin Schneidman, he is one of the three or four uh, pioneers in the field of suicide prevention. He co-founded the American Association of Suicidology, and what happened is he would refer Highly suicidal patients to me uh, at UCLA, and that's what made up my practice for many years, uh, probably over 30 years. And then what happened is, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit old in the tooth, like you, Hacky, and so you know, life uh, life happens. And And I do have a documentary uh, that's won a number of awards called Stay Alive, an intimate conversation about suicide prevention. And People can find that out at Stay Alive video. But what happened is roughly uh, nine months ago, I became a grandpa for the first time. My first grandchild. It has rocked my world and... Uh, I wasn't geographically close to my grandparents. So, you know, you know, they were always sweet, but when we'd visit them, we were from out of town. And you hear these cliches about grandparents and grandchildren. And I'm not much of a cliche believer, but it's all true. And I told my wife, we've been married almost 42 years. I said, I, I got to believe that I once loved you as much as I love my grandson, but I can't imagine it. <laughs> No, but she loves my grandson, too. Uh, so I'm, and what it is, is, is uh, and, and I get to see him four or five times a week, is, so I've watched him develop. And I'll tell you, if you're a grandparent, you'll know what I'm talking about. When you look into the eyes of, a, of an infant, your grandson or granddaughter, it's like looking into the eyes of God. They're just looking at you with pure innocence. They're not looking at their iPad. They're not racing to a video game. They're just looking out. And what they're looking for when they when they can't use their arms or legs yet because they're between two and five months is they're looking to hold on to you with their eyes. And so what I've been doing is bathing him and I am so glad you're here. Uh, I think you're going to have a great life if I have anything to do with it. And if technology tries to uh, take away your job. We'll find another job for you. And so I just bathe him in this unconditional, boy, am I glad you're here. And I'm not sure I did that with my own kids because I had to go out and earn a living. You know, So I, I, I'd be there, but then I had to run and, and do something. But what happened is he so made me smile that I've decided to switch in that direction But if you check out my TEDx talk, I won't tell you the whole thing, but what the TEDx talk was about is I have a good friend who had a a 23-year-old drug addict daughter, and this is part of my TEDx talk, but you can check it out when you check out the TEDx. And he basically said to me, he said, I can't stand getting a call from her. She lies. She manipulates. Uh, I don't want to get angry at her because she'll overdose uh, but and I'm making it worse, but I don't know what to do. And then he told me, he said, you know, I figured she must smile about something every day. Could be a shower, could be a slice of pizza, could be getting drugs, but there's got to be one thing. So what he did is he started texting her every day at 5 p.m. Hey, honey, it's dad. What made you smile today? And at first she kind of Tried to manipulate, oh, I thought you'd give me some money, money, and you'd help me. And he said, no, 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 no. We've been down that. No more money. No more money, you know, until you get your act together. And he said, after about six weeks, uh, he sent her a text every day. And he sent him the same thing. Hi, honey, it's dad. What made you smile today? And she sent him a text back and said, oh, come on, dad. If you must know, what made me smile today was knowing you would send me a text. How and cool! He, you got it. He started to cry, and he said it was the first time we really liked each other. Where she didn't want something from me. And two months later, she was off drugs, because instead of being a burden who was resented, her dad liked her. And so ever since then, what's happened is I've been on this mission. Uh, oh, you don't even have to see the TEDx talk; you're getting most of it here look, with Hacky. <laughs> And so what I do, uh, and, and and what we're doing, it's like the ice bucket challenge. Is every day, and I mean every day, when one of the name tagged, faceless people serves me, cashier at McDonald's, TSA agent, after they serve me, I always do the same thing. I did this with Carmen at McDonald's. She served me, and I and I saw her name tag, Carmen. I said, thank you, Carmen. Just the thank you startled her. Thank you, Carmen. My name is Mark. I have a question for you. And then Carmen went, I said, no, 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 Carmen, you're not in trouble. Didn't do anything wrong. And then I looked at her. I said, Carmen, what made you smile today? And she paused. And most of the responses I get, it's a beautiful day, uh, waking up. She gave me my favorite. She had this huge smile and she Looked at me, and she said, seeing you, sweetie. And so I said to her, I said, Carmen, here's a wristband. In fact, I said, Carmen, I gave her two wristbands, and the wristband says, hashtag WMYST. I said, Carmen, you have a great smile. You need to use it every day, and here's a wristband to make sure that you do it every day. And here's a second wristband do to someone else what I just did to you. And so I sit down with my coffee. McDonald's makes good coffee. You don't have to go to Starbucks. So I sit down and and what's happening is when she's not busy, she's at the register and she's like this. (laughs) I'll tell you, you know, it made me so uncomfortable. I had to leave. (laughs) But I think there's a power of, reminding people what made them what made them smile. So we're just creating this mission to break through, as we said, you know the disconnect, the unhappiness and the loneliness uh, using uh, one smile at a time.
0: Well, you get into another aspect which is not spoken about as much as we should that I know you're an expert on. Which is the art of listening.
1: Absolutely. In fact, you know, you mentioned something because, I, I, as I mentioned, I, I went to Russia, and I spoke. Uh, uh, I spoke to a thousand Russians, and I introduced my latest thinking on communication. So I'm so pleased to be able to mention this to you. And to to mention it to your audience, because if you can do this, I even think if you're a little bit on the spectrum, it can help you, it can help you appear to have more empathy when a lot of times you might have struggles with it. And this is what I introduced in Moscow. I said, if you can have pure curiosity, meaning you don't have anything you're trying to sell or convince and you can focus on what people are listening for. See a lot of times people listen to us and then you know, and then we talk to them and it's kind of like above the neck a transaction. but if you are just purely curious about what they're listening for and then you have them open up about it, people lean into you. So if I were to focus on what you're listening for, let me see if I get it. So here's my good friend Hacky, and maybe what you're listening for is, you know, I'm really tuning into what Mark's saying now because a lot of the people we serve, the different brains, have trouble connecting. They have trouble connecting with themselves. They have trouble connecting with other people, um, and they're aware that they're, they feel different. And geez. I'm listening for, is Mark saying something that they could use? If if they could focus, learn to focus on what other people are listening for and just be curious about it. Geez, I'm wondering if that could help some of the people we serve to connect better. That would be amazing. So I don't know if I'm getting it right, but do you follow what I'm saying? That uh, you... Yes,
0: I do. And it's what's... Uh... What's great about everything that you're saying is that these are tools that we can all use. It doesn't matter what neurodiversity or what kind of different brain we might have, whether I'm on the spectrum or I have lots of anxiety or I tend toward depression or I have a neurological disorder, this is all very helpful and doable
1: and usable. Yeah, because, and the way I would introduce it to people with neurodiversity is because I believe, and I believe this would be true of the wonderful interns you introduced me to that you have, I, I think they would be aware that they're listening for things, that they're listening for solutions to a problem. If they're techies, they're looking for data or something to make something work, you know, even your great, uh, uh even joseph your 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 techy you know you know he's listening for how to make sure that the audio comes out right and everything else and it flows and so if you can help people who have neurodiversity to be aware that they're listening for something all the time you might be able to say well isn't it can you understand how people you're interacting with are also listening for something to solve something? And sometimes what they're trying to solve is their problem is they want to feel close to you because you're their son, their daughter, their spouse. And so if you can just be curious about what they're listening for and have them tell you what it is, they might actually have the feeling of connecting with you. Can you follow that sort of thing? Yes, yeah, it makes all the sense
0: in the world. You know, the, I made the first chapter in the Asper Tools book, Anxiety, because it kind of rules all of us. And uh, what are some good tips and tricks that you might have for our audience that it might help someone with social anxiety for how they might become, for instance, a strong
1: leader? How does it work? Well, you know, I know you'd find this hard to believe, but I, and I can't say it anymore because my wife says, you can't say this anymore. I'm an extreme introvert. I mean, painful introvert. And my wife says, you can't say that. You go around the world speaking. Well, you know, when I'm on stage, you know, I've got to show up, but you know, I I don't, I don't go to the cocktails the night before and make small talk. (laughs) You know, I, I just show up and do my thing and then I exhale and maybe I'll have one glass, just one glass of wine and then I'll talk to the wall. But uh, um, And I'll tell you, this is what uh, – here's an anecdote because I remember being very shy and I remember we went to my wife's – this was many years ago, I think her 15th high school reunion. And I was really a pain in the neck. I was whining. When can we leave? I don't know anyone. Yeah, yeah You know, and, and I don't know that I ruined it for her, but I certainly didn't make it all that pleasant. And, you know, but I evolved a little bit in the next 10 years. So it's the 25th high school reunion. And I said, I'm going to surprise her and be an amazing sport. And we go to the reunion and I said, I don't know how I'm going to pull it off, but I'm going to speak to five people and they're going to be happy they spoke to me. I have no idea how I'm going to do it. And by the end of the evening, I had spoken to about seven people and five of them, when we finished talking, they took my hand and two hands and they said it was really good meeting. you. And so afterwards, I was trying to figure out what the heck did I do? And so I realized I use this tool. With each of them, I ask questions that would cause them to say, I think this about so-and-so. Oh, this is how I would feel. This is what I would do. Think, feel, do. So I might say something like, well, what do you think about it being 25 years since you went to high school? Wow. How do you feel about seeing some of the people that Maybe you haven't seen for years. Um, You know, and then I might, for the do, I might say, uh, you know, uh, I might, you're not supposed to talk about politics, but you could say, you know, if if you were, you know, if you are a president, what would you do to sort of handle these kinds of issues? But what I realized is that when you get someone to say the words, I think this, this is how I feel, this is what I would do, they feel known by you.
0: Mark, where can our audience learn more about you and your work?
1: Well, if you go to Amazon and just put in my name, Mark Goulston, G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N, you'll find that. Uh, As I said, if you look up, if you go to YouTube and put in TEDx uh, Goulston, you'll find my TEDx talk, What Made You Smile Today. If you go to Instagram, you can join our community at What Made You Smile today global a uh, at wmyst global um it, it's a dot org i mean we're not trying to make money we're just trying to we're just we're just trying to put a uh, put a dent in the loneliness and unhappiness in the world one smile at a time that's that's part of what steve Jobs said is we're here to put a dent in the universe because that's why we're here so we're hoping to put a dent in the unhappiness loneliness and disconnect of the world so you can find us there. And what we hope is you'll record selfies and you can, you'll, you can find the wristbands, uh, you know, at WMYST.org. Um, and you know, we're hoping you'll spread the word, kind of like the Ice Bucket Challenge, where you hold up your wristband and say, what made me smile today was such and such. What made you smile? And together, I think we could, uh, I don't know, make the world a little happier. Well we can certainly
0: use that. We can certainly do that. Well, Dr. Mark Goulston from UCLA. Look at you as they look say. At you, man. Look at you. <laughs> can you believe it? We made it through medical school and everything. Huh? Many uh, years ago.
1: Take advantage of every day. I mean it's amazing how quickly time passes. And um and also, you know, I have this podcast, my wake-up call. Everybody has wake-up calls, but not everybody wakes up. And I hope you'll check those out, my wake-up call podcast. It's on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And and you'll be able to and tune in to the great interview that uh, Hacky gave me um, Right, you know, where I talked as much as he did, but there you go. <laughs> Hacky, you're a better listener than I am. You, know, you
0: make I, a lot more sense, and let me tell you something. This could be my all-time record for being held. Really, I, I love listening to everything, everything you've had to say, and I, I really didn't want to interrupt you because it's all good stuff, and not the least of which, and I don't want it to get lost in all of the morass there. You know, lost in the whole texture of everything we've discussed in both of our interviews. Uh, But the fact that you specialize and deal many times with in your practice with suicide and none of your patients have committed suicide, that's got to be a world's record.
1: well, 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 the key is... You know, I'll just share this anecdote. I, I gave a presentation at the California Community College Mental Health and Wellness Conference, and these were uh, these were all the heads of mental health programs at community colleges. And you know, and, and it went pretty well. And they uh, and they said they said so. Give us some tips. You know, why? How come your people don't kill themselves? And I said, I'll give you a tip, but you won't be able to follow it because you work for somebody. See, I was I was blessed because after I finished training, I didn't work for an institution. And very early on, when I was meeting with suicidal patients and I'd look in their eyes, I could pick up that what they were saying to me in their eyes was you're checking boxes and I'm running out of time. And, and, I, and after a while, it screamed out at me with their eyes. So I just put the clipboard away. And so I, I told these people, I said, there's three questions that I will often ask people. And I don't think you can do it because you you have to, it, it's off protocol. Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah. And there was a bad connection that you have to edit. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I said, there's three questions that I used to ask people when I was in practice, I'm no longer practicing is I, I'd, I'd look them in the eye and I have a way of looking into people's eyes and holding on to their eyes, kind of like what I'm doing now, you know? And, and they would see it. And I would say to them, uh, at your absolute worst, where it's real awful. How bad does that get for you? And they would look at me, what? I, I'd, and I'd repeat it, at, its abs, at your absolute worst. And you're feeling terrible. How bad does that get for you? And their eyes would sort of, they'd check out, well, am I going to hospitalize them or something? And then they'd say, really awful. And then the second question is, when you're feeling that way, how alone do you feel? They look at me totally alone. And then my third question was, take me to such a time. Take me to 2:30 in the morning in the last week. And then they start to talk about it. And here's what I've discovered is when you can get someone to talk about something really awful, and they talk about it so clearly that you can see it. I can see them walking around their bedroom, banging the pillow, looking for a broken ambient, wanting to put their head through the wall. And they're telling me that. When, they, when I can get them to talk about it so clearly that I can see it, they relive it. And when they relive it, they're not alone. And when they relive it with you, they start to cry. And when they start to cry, they start to feel relief. And when they start to feel relief, they start to be able to think more clearly, because as we've talked about, they're they're not agitated, they calm down because they're crying with relief because they feel less alone. I wrote a blog after Anthony Bourdain died by suicide, it got 500,000 views and 75,000 reads in six days. And I said, why people kill themselves, it's not depression. And what I talked about is that there's hundreds of millions of people who are depressed, who lose jobs, lose marriages, who don't kill themselves. So they all contribute. And I said, one of the things uh, that they all feel at the end is despair. And if you break the word despair into D-E-S P-A-I-R, they feel unpaired with reasons to live. Hopeless, helpless, useless, worthless, meaningless, pointless. And what happens is when they all line up, they pair with death to take the pain away. So if you can pair with them in the dark night of the soul so that they feel less alone. They'll pair with you instead of death. And, and that was a lot of my presentation. And, you know, and, and I'll tell you, the people who were tending, they were tearing up because they could just picture how it would work. And then what they said to me, they shrugged their shoulders and they say, you're right, we can't do that. You know, because it's, you know, because no, no, we have to, we have to be saying, no, maybe we should give you medicine and we'll send you to such and such. And uh, but we'll see, you know, uh, what I'm you know, what I'm hoping is someone will say, you know, we need to institute what I learned from this presentation. So so we'll see how it goes.
0: Well, thank you so much for teaching us. This is great. Well, thank Mark, you. that yeah. time went by. Thank you again so much for being with us here at Different Brains. Keep up the great work you do for so many. Thank you. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.